Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child using the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. So today, the wise and talented and amazing Claire Paglia is back on the podcast. Her and I are kind of discussing this whole Montessori series that we have been doing throughout season two, and we kind of wrap it all up, if you will, in the eyes of how does this all pertain to the spirituality of children and how does it help us with freedom and discipline in the atrium and in our homes. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of those Montessori episodes, these are the ones that we are talking about. We had episode 48, History of Montessori with Carol Dittburner. Then Claire joined us for episode 49 on the four planes of development. Episode 50, Celine Mitchell spoke about sensitive periods. Episode 52, Sherry Mock taught us all things practical life. Episode 54, Kathy Yohani spoke about the human needs and tendencies. And episode 55, Carolyn Kohlhouse dove into the huge topic of cosmic education. Throughout this episode, you will be able to hear little bits of my six-month-old daughter, Ramona, who decided that joining Claire and I in discussing all things Montessori was more important than her nap. So (laughs) I hope you enjoy her contributions. Maybe she'll be a catechist one day or a Montessori guide or lead us all closer to the Good Shepherd. So this kind of ends this specific series on Montessori that we are doing, but there are so many different topics within the Montessori philosophy that as we keep moving forward with the the podcast, we will keep diving into different aspects of it. I really hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Claire and I. Claire, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, just in case anybody has not listened to the past episodes that you have joined us, Claire, would you briefly tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. So I am a child of the atrium. Um, I was in the atrium from age four all the way up through level three. The church kind of built it as as I grew. My mom, well, my mom was part of that too. So um, <laughs> <laughs> huge piece of that. Um, so as an adult though, I'm Montessori trained. So I did my primary training and I finished that in 2008, I think, and have spent time as a primary guide for the last 12 years. Um, and I've also been doing my level one, a catechist in a level one atrium, um, since 2012. And so that's been, that's been a real gift to be able to do that as an adult now as well. And currently I'm working at home and also homeschooling my children and trying to be present <laughs> and keep things as balanced as possible. <laughs> it's always a trick. Yes, that's always the challenge. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay, so what Claire and I would like to do in this episode is kind of quote unquote wrap up our Montessori series, but it won't really be wrapping up because we just continue to talk about this. But We would like to kind of look back on the episodes that we've been doing here in season two on Montessori and gather all that information 
into one if we can. Just kind of look at it in our hand and reflect on it and ask ourselves, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean for us, especially in regards to the spiritual growth of children? Also in regards to freedom and discipline. So Claire, I thought it would be good as we begin this conversation to revisit what is freedom and discipline. Sure. That's a great idea. So I think as as we talked about in that first podcast, I think it was almost a year ago. Yeah, I think it was about, <laughs> about a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, about freedom and discipline is is that this topic is definitely one of the most commonly misconstrued, I think. Um, I think it's hard for people to see that balance and also to be able to find that balance of following the child and also being a sturdy leader. I think that that's a really tricky combination sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when we think about freedom, we think about kind of necessary freedoms in the atrium, like the freedom to choose an activity, the freedom to choose where they're going to work on it, the freedom to express themselves, the freedom to work alone or in a group, and also the freedom to move because we know that movement is cohesive with life. So we want to give space for that. Um, And discipline is instead of kind of the traditional sense of discipline as the practice of training people to obey rules. It's more helping the child to develop self-discipline. So the, the ability to control feelings, you know, regulate in, in a reasonably age-appropriate way. Right. Um, that adjusts over time um, to be able to really pursue what they think is right and despite temptations to kind of abandon it. So really mm-hmm. just to continue to um, really be able to follow the Holy Spirit, too. I mean, that's a huge, huge piece of that. Right, right. More of a discipline that is freely chosen. Yes, rather than imposed. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. So let's now look back at the different themes that we've hit up in these past couple months and look at them in light of spiritual growth of children and freedom and discipline. So, of course, we had that beautiful episode where we dove into the history of Maria Montessori. Oh, and my oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that one was amazing. <laughs> she I, oh, is, she's a powerhouse. Amazing. I don't know she how really she is. did it all. I, yeah. And, and Maria Montessori, I just, there were things that I had never heard before. And I think just because of even just Carol's path in history, like she was able to experience a lot of those things firsthand and mm-hmm. really learn mm-hmm. a lot of those things firsthand. I don't know. It was it was really incredible to listen to though. And and Maria Montessori, I really don't know how she kept up with <laughs> that pace. She kept a pretty fast clip her whole life. Seriously, like there was no slowing down. Like I was particularly amazed with the speed that once it's like she saw the children and what they were capable of and started working with children and then within a few years it was all over the world like it's there were all these houses it's amazing how fast like there was there's a confidence that she Mm -hmm. had it was like oh I know that I've discovered something amazing and yes boom I'm going to share it with the world and there was no internet at that time like I mean just thinking about how fast things can spread now because of the internet and because of our access to connect with each other and during Montessori's life, like, obviously, that wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. Even travel, I think, wasn't. It's amazing how much international travel she also did during that time frame, because that was a new thing, too, to be mm-hmm. able to travel, mm-hmm. travel like that. But just the people that she encountered in her life, it's, it's remarkable. She's it is remarkable. really revolutionary. It, I imagine her walking around life with an open hand. Like, it was mm. like she was 
taking whatever God was giving her and observing it mm-hmm. and growing from it. Like there was never like a, ooh, I don't want that. Like her time in India, like in hell, she ended up being there for like seven years rather than just going for a formation. She took it and then it became this huge time of growth for her. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a really beautiful testimony and um, it makes me think like, oh my gosh, I have all these years left that I can accomplish things because she was like <laughs> 70 and still yes. writing books and doing amazing things. Yes. And even some of her last courses too, international courses, I just, it's, it's amazing. And and she even wasn't deterred by the political environment. She wasn't mm-hmm. deterred by the war that was happening. Like she just kept on. She's like, if I can't do it here, oh, I will go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just mm-hmm. the way we'll do it. Yeah. She was pretty amazing. I loved that that was our beginning because it kind of made everything else make sense, at least historically. It was like, okay, so that's when she talked about cosmic education or whatever. Yes. So that was neat. A neat platform for the whole series. Then you came on our podcast and we talked about the four planes of development. And I I love having you on the podcast. I think it's really great. But I loved this. I love the four planes of development. And I think it's so helpful for us, especially in regards to freedom and discipline, because it helps us understand who this child is that's sitting in front of us. Like you were talking about that second plane child and how they might be considered rude or Mm -hmm. um, a little untidy and they're really brutally honest. And you said that it helps you have joy more with that age child to understand that they're not being rude. It's just who that child is in that plane. Um, It's almost like if I can know to expect it and know that it's normal, then it's less personal maybe yes I think it takes the edge off a little bit yeah <laughs> you know if you're like oh, okay <laughs> Second plane yeah that's normal <laughs> like it's almost like when you encounter another family who have just as wild children as you do and you're like oh my friend <laughs> you know like you're like great yeah. it's not just my children there's like a comfort there mm-hmm. that's like um okay it's not personal anymore that my child is brutally honest right exactly because yeah. it's not I don't think that the child means it in a, in a disrespectful way. And I think a lot of adults take it that way. But I think when we can really just see like, okay, they're just really, really honest, or yes. they really, really want to know the answer to that, they're going to be as direct as possible. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I think that's huge. And it, and it definitely helps us as the adults to relax a little bit. I mean, I find that in myself, I can kind of, my shoulders relax a little bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, kind of take a deep breath and go for it. So understanding those different characteristics of these different planes of development, I think it helps us to be able to know why a child is behaving a certain way. It's typical for their age. Or also for us to be able to meet their needs a little bit better within that plane of development. Like for instance, the the first plane child and how much, especially that three to six, that how much movement they need. You know, so expecting a five-year-old to sit down and learn about Jesus might not necessarily be the best format and environment for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it made me think of this quote, and I think it's from the child in the church. I'm going to have to look it up exactly where it's from. But um, Maria Montessori said that there is no space too sacred for the child. And I just felt like, okay, that's, she, she knows, obviously, and acknowledges the planes of development. She acknowledges the sensitive period. She acknowledges all of those different things, but she knows that even spaces that adults deem as sacred are not too sacred for the child because mm. the child is so close to the heart of God. Mm. Um, 
I just think that 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 quote came back up for me when I was, you know, re-listening to the podcast. And I thought, you know, I just think that that's a theme for us is to really think about it's okay for them to be there. It's okay for them to move. It's okay for them to talk. You know, mm-hmm, we, can, mm-hmm. we can allow reasonable space and obviously have conversations and, and build in, and it will get to practical life in a little bit, but build in some of that grace and courtesy of what are the expectations when we're in this space. You know, it doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. We can still have that freedom within limits, but, right. um, you know, all spaces can welcome the child. And Celine talked about it a little bit in that next episode on sensitive periods, she said something like, Jesus calls the child to come to me, but we tell the child, sit, don't move, be still, mm-hmm. be quiet, don't laugh. Mm-hmm. That's not the child. And though both sensitive periods and planes of development speak so beautifully into that, that when we understand who the child is, we can allow the child who actually is the child to come to Jesus, not our version of what we wish the child to be. Yes. And I think it allows us to trust in the child, too. I think um, Celine mentioned that as well, just yes. how much it can allow us to have that faith in the child and know that that really this is okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing with planes of development that we spoke about that I think it's important to reiterate, especially in regards to freedom and discipline, is the idea that a child can start moving into the next plane in some ways, but not all. Yes. And so those kind of kids that are on the cusp of moving to a different plane, they have different needs. Like they might have different social needs or different um, physical needs, et cetera, um, that we need to meet in order for them to be able to have proper freedom and discipline. Definitely. And I, and I think, too, with that, it's, it's trying to find that balance of, you know, even if they might start dipping their toes into the next plane of development, it doesn't mean we have to push them into the next environment. You know, we can yes. still meet those needs maybe in a more advanced way in the environment that they're in. I know often in my primary environment and even in the atrium at, at church, we try to offer for those older ones, like here's some extra responsibilities that you can have. You can show mm-hmm. this child how to do this. You can, maybe you can go across the hall and get, you know, if we need an extra altar cloth, like you can go get that mm-hmm. next. You know, they can have those responsibilities and still because they're not all the way in that plane of development yet, but they're heading that direction. So right. you can just right. start to add to the, the responsibilities um, and maybe expand the freedom a little bit just to be able to meet those needs. Right. So Celine, mm-hmm. in Sensitive Period episode, she spoke about those special times, those windows of opportunity when a child is particularly interested in maybe learning about something very specific or growing in a specific area in their life, such as uh, a sensitive period for reading or letters or words or speaking or a sensitive period for movement. And one thing that she said that I felt was particularly important for, for in regards to freedom and discipline is the idea that if a child is not interested, mm-hmm. they're like if they're not in a sensitive period for something they're not going to be interested in it and then they probably are not going to use that material correctly yes the whole concept of freedom and discipline gets off whenever Mm -hmm. we're trying to maybe push our agenda onto a child who's not interested in what we are trying to push on them they're not in that sensitive period for for what we want them to be doing right I think that's definitely a place where observation is huge 
And I think sometimes when we want to, we're like, oh, we need to check that box. We feel like we need to check that box of that material going to that child, but the timing just isn't quite right. And sometimes it's because of a sensitive period. And sometimes it's just because of interest. Like they're just not that into it. And so either taking it a different angle or shelving it, tabling it for later um, Mm -hmm. can help too. Um, I think a big thing about sensitive periods that I did not know um, years ago when I was doing my Montessori training is that there's even disagreement in the Montessori world about what is considered a sensitive period, mm. which is, was like eye opening to me. Um, cause I had some of my friends have lists of like seven to 10 sensitive periods. And in my training, there were four that she really mainly focused on. Interesting. Um, but I don't total. I'm not sure what that is unless if, you know, maybe, the the monastery training itself kind of covers those other sensitive periods in different ways. Maybe that's another. Um, but the four that were mentioned in mine were order, language, movement, and refinement of the senses. Okay. So I, I guess that's something I'm learning then because I kind of assumed that a sensitive period was anything. But you're saying that there are specific themes or specific uh, yes. sensitive periods. That there's a limit necessary. It kind of like puts an umbrella, if that makes sense. So yeah. like with language, like there's a whole spectrum of things that happen with that. Like they acquire language, then it can also right. like feed into the work that they're doing when they start to be interested in letters and reading. You know, it all kind of goes on this this. So it's not continuum. a sensitive period for reading necessarily. It's a sensitive period for language that's kind of manifesting within reading, being interested in reading? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think that there's also then more specific times that the children tend to be ready for letters and ready for, but it's, it's more of a readiness thing instead of a, a sensitive period thing. Um, but I think the other, the other piece of this that was brought up to me recently, again, is just this idea that there are, there are ages that kind of go with each um, mm-hmm. sensitive period. But of course we, we work with children. We're an inclusive environment. So we work with children that are, neurotypical and non-neurotypical. Um, and so I think just understanding that sensitive periods, those ages are a general guideline and a framework, but they're not a hard and fast rule. So you can have, you know, children kind of do those things in their own developmental timeline. Right. Um, right. There's like an average age. Yes. But it's not limited to that. Yes. Yeah. It's not limited. And it doesn't mean that because that interest may arise later for a child that's developing on their own timeline. And that is, I mean, they all develop on their own timelines, just some, it's a little bit more observable than others and that's okay. So the other thing that Celine spoke about that I felt would be very helpful for freedom and discipline is that the importance of the environment in regards to sensitive period. And she talked about cutting and, um, that if a child is very interested in cutting and there's nothing for them to cut, then they're going to go cut something. <laughs> so in order for us to create yes. an environment that matches the sensitive period, which then goes right back to observation, we need to be observing these children mm-hmm. in our homes or in our atria so that we are aware of their sensitive periods to make sure that the environment, which we are responsible for, that is our work, matches their needs at that time. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely where the idea of follow the child, which is another one of those huge misconceptions, um, right. is, is that it's not this 
just like with freedom and discipline, it's not a free for all. Right. It's, it's like you observe that interest in paper cutting, like, okay, how can I meet this interest? How can I meet this need? And because I was seeing this with my, my two-year-old, she would find scissors and she'd, be, she'd get them in her hands. She'd be like, scissors? I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, you have them. <laughs> but you're interested in learning how to use those. So then we made, I made a little thing for her to be able to clip pieces of cardstock. But but she was going to find the scissors even if I put them away. So mm-hmm. it's, right. <laughs> it's just right. kind of funny um, how they do that. But, but again, like our observation, you can see that interest. You can say, okay, now I can make that material for this child. This child is telling me they're ready for it. Sometimes we can catch it ahead of time and sometimes we catch it on the spot and that's fine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So then we went into Sherry Mock spoke about practical life, which is funny because at first I was not thinking that practical life would be able to connect with freedom and discipline very well. But then as Sherry spoke so beautifully. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so helpful for freedom and discipline. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. Like even just the idea that she spoke about of setting the child up for success. Mm-hmm. So like how we have preliminary activities that help a child then be able to do other activities. It sets a child up for success and for self-confidence that makes for the best environment for freedom and discipline. And whenever we kind of skip steps, mm-hmm. there's frustration, there's misuse that doesn't help with an, a successful freedom and discipline environment. But I think sometimes as adults, we forget these small steps that a child needs in order to be able to do a certain activity, mm-hmm. like pouring or cutting or um, even like the grace and courtesy. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, I think I love how she really focused on how all of this really makes real work possible. You know, it helps the child be part of the community and whether it's being part of community by understanding the grace and courtesy, you know, the social norms that are expected, or if it's being able to participate by setting the table or, Mm -hmm. you know, washing a dish or Mm -hmm. polishing their shoes, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, Just being able to have a meaningful contribution to the community is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's not busy work. I think I love that she highlighted that, that it's not contrived. It's not pretend. It's not busy work. Like this is real work with real materials that are sized appropriately for the child. Right. So those are, those are really important things and, and it's vital for our environment. Yeah. And, and I think she also, Sherry highlighted just how all creation has special gifts and kind of when we're giving them space to contribute and be part of the community, we're allowing them to share their gifts with us, which is really big. Yeah. Sherry's, Sherry's amazing. Um, I think, um, Kathy Yohani was next with the human tendencies. And oh, needs yes. And that was, I learned so much <laughs> from her. Me too. Oh, my goodness. Um, even though in my training we did, that was the very first theory lecture we heard was on human needs and tendencies. And it just didn't sink in the same way as it did when I heard it this time. Mm-hmm. It was really amazing. Um, and to highlight on Dr. Montessori's work in anthropology, too, because I think so much of the time that's kind of pushed to the side. And we focus mm-hmm. on how she was a scientist and a doctor and, mm-hmm. you know, how she worked with children. But the fact I think her background in anthropology really definitely informed all of the work that she's doing and how she noticed those cross-cultural similarities and differences. 
I think she mentioned something about how there's no set numbers of human tendencies. And I thought that was really interesting because I think that there's definitely the ones that she listed out are the the main ones that we focus on. But I thought it was interesting to think about that there's really no set numbers. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow, that really opens it up. Yeah. Um, but but how these tendencies are so dynamic and they're interrelated. And so it can really help us I like on a spiritual level, like how we can continue to meet those needs. And even just looking at what Kathy was talking about with geography and orientation, I thought that was so fascinating. Yeah, that was really fascinating. I've never thought of geography that way. But it was really interesting how she talked about that if you're having disruptions in your class or in your atrium, to to check yourself as the adult in the in the atrium mm-hmm. and also check the environment to see if there's some human tendencies that are lacking. Mm. So this knowledge of human tendencies is so important for understanding why maybe a child is misbehaving. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's really key. Um, And I loved that she brought up that quote, I think it was from Mario Montessori about how education should lead us to trust in the wisdom of God. And I think part the next part of that was in the wisdom of the child too. I mean, just how those, those connect. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said many times that to work with those human tendencies and instead of to stifle them. So to be to be yes. very aware of what you are doing to make sure that it is conducive with these natural things that have go that are going on inside the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, working with yeah, working with what's natural and and I think Montessori also talks a lot about how we're trying to remove obstacles for the child. You know, we're trying to help that water flow a little bit more freely. And I think if you kind of think about if you're working with it, you're going with that flow and and helping, you know, the child grow more naturally and, and meet those needs in a more natural way instead of mm-hmm. having it be contrived or forced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fascinating. That was human needs and tendencies. I, that was the one area that I feel like I knew the absolute least about in regards to these different Montessori theories. And she did such a beautiful job of educating us. And she's an anthropologist as well, which I thought was really good. Yes. Great. No, that was, that was perfect. <laughs> it was a perfect combination. Yes, it, it was. was. Amazing. I it loved was. it. So, and then the last one we just did was with Carolyn Kohlhaus, and she spoke about cosmic education, which is like, I feel like cosmic education is one of those themes that you just have to sit with for a really long time because yes. it's everywhere, it's huge, it's interconnected, it's it's just, it's big. It's a big yes, one. It really is. And, and, you know, for the longest time, I felt like cosmic meant that it was chaotic. And so mm. to hear her say, no, cosmic means order and unity. You know, you're really, it's, it's a, this like large scale framework or map that you're, it's, it's all connecting. It, it doesn't, you know, and I think you actually brought up um, this connection to nature and just how much that, you know, God is telling us the story with the seasons and the seeds and the rhythms and just what a beautiful message that is, but how it all relates mm-hmm. to, to cosmic education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually the other day, a friend of mine was, we were talking about the difference between cosmic education and the cosmic task. And I thought that that was, you know, the cosmic education is really looking at develop, developmental needs and how we're meeting those needs, but then the task is more of an individual thing 
and how every living thing has a role to play and really what is your purpose is is huge it's so huge so i'm amazed that you guys got it into one podcast <laughs> uh, yeah i feel like it almost needs another one to really do it mm-hmm. do it justice but i love what you just said the difference between cosmic education and task because i think understanding that helps us to understand that second plane child and some of yes. their deepest needs that they need they want to know what their place is in the world, especially that level three, that nine to 12 year old child. Where mm-hmm. am I in all of this? What do I have to do? What do I have to contribute? Where is my place? Yes. And I think Carolyn was also talking about just how all people are part of the plan of God. And I thought that that was another, I love the ways that the atrium, the work in the atrium continues to help the child connect to their cosmic task. Really, mm-hmm. where's, Where mm-hmm. do I fit in all of this? And and it really draws on that interest from the child too. Yeah. Really, a really beautiful place to make those connections and discoveries. And probably one of the few places in their lives where they are being asked that question. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm so grateful that we did this whole series because I think it's really under, I think it's really important for us to understand these Montessori theories because I think it's easy for us, especially those who have done anything in a traditional education setting, for us to uh, get caught up in, oh, the children need to see this. The children need to be presented this. Um, mm-hmm. We need this material, et cetera. And when we sit with these theories, we start to respect the child more. We start to respect this work more. Um, and also respect the Holy Spirit as that primary teacher and not us and not us needing to control anything. There's just like a deeper freedom that comes yes. with understanding these theories. Yes, I agree. So, yeah, I'm really grateful that um, these different women came on the podcast to help us to understand them a little bit more because, I, and again, I feel like we just scratched the surface and even me listening to the episodes multiple times, I got something different out of it each time. And it does, it helps you to have freedom as a catechist with these mm-hmm. children. It helps you to, to, to respect the Holy Spirit that's inside of them and not needing to control it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I found a, um, a quote from, from Jana in listening to God with children. Um, and it was, it's the chapter about, the child's work and cosmic work. But she points out that the work of the adult is often so exhausting and burdensome and kind of different from how impassioned the child can be. And, and I think um, her, her exact quote was that the child has this inner drive to work because it's through the work that the child builds him or herself while using and developing his or her primary instruments, which are the hand and intelligence. Mm-hmm. And the child works not so much in order to learn as to become. And that really thinking about this whole series and, and this idea of really helping children recognize and discover their cosmic task is, is a really, it's a gift that we can give to them if we allow the space for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's huge. If, if we allowed the space for it. Um, one thing I feel like in all of the different episodes that I kept hearing was that 
it's really the adult that has to 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 change to form. You know, I think we when we, especially whenever we're like freedom and discipline, you know, like these kids are not acting the way that I thought they would act, etc. How do I fix them? What I heard in all of these episodes was we have to look back at ourselves. Um, we need to ask ourselves questions like, am I allowing for all the human needs and tendencies to, to be there? Am I allowing for the this child's specific needs and their sensitive periods or the growth that they're having at this time or for who this child is that's in front of me? Am I allowing um, or creating the proper environment for that? Or, you know, like there's more of an internal look at us first and there's probably like 20 questions at least that we should ask ourselves first when there is a problem in the atrium yes. before we actually look at the child and think that there's a problem mm-hmm. there. Yeah, there's actually, there's a triangle in, I don't know if it's, well, I'll have to see if I can find one that we can send, but it's um, at each point of the triangle, there's a part that's one's for the child, one's the adult and one's the environment. Mm-hmm. And so then there's arrows that kind of go in between each one showing the interconnected relationships. So how the adult prepares the environment and the adult connects the child to the environment. The child works with the adult and the child works with the materials in the environment. And then the environment obviously provides for both the adult mm-hmm. and the child. Um, but really focusing on how we as the adults are the dyna- dynamic link for the child to the environment. You know, mm-hmm. we really, we bring that material, that environment, that atrium to life. And I think that that's, it's a big task, but it's also something we are absolutely capable of, especially when we're guided mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit in the work that we're doing. Yeah, I think it it can create a beautiful spiritual growth within ourselves if done correctly. Last year in our episode together on freedom and discipline, you said something about having to check yourself at the door. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course, that's the physical aspect. But then I think even deeper, there's a spiritual aspect. Like, where am I emotionally right now? Where am I mentally right now? Where am I spiritually right now? As I walk into this atrium in order to help be that connection between the child and the environment, the child and God. And I think a lot of times the issues that we do find in the atrium start there with us checking ourselves. We did an episode right at the beginning of the podcast two years ago with Diane Olson on the adult and the environment. And she spoke about this beautifully. And if I remember correctly, she spoke about some issues she was having in the atrium and she brought it back to her and she ended up praying for each child by name as a way of preparation for the atrium. Mm -hmm. And what a difference that it created whenever she was praying for them, but also whenever she, I think she allowed the child to be where the child was. Yes. I think when we give thought and and a little bit of focus to what helps us to center, we can be more present for the child. Mm -hmm. So whether it's arriving early and and taking some time to pray for each individual child while we're checking the environment and making sure things are Mm -hmm. stocked, you know, those, those little things that it's, it's such a small it feels small, but it has such a big impact when we yeah. are present. Then that space and time in the atrium is so much more peaceful. And I yeah. think we're, we're then ready for whatever whatever might happen because yeah. we know every every yeah. <laughs> every Sunday is different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. I think that those little prayers, but it, it makes a big difference. And I like to walk around the atrium and and call the Holy Spirit into this place. Mm. Just 
another small thing that we can do is prayer. Or I remember my friend Gabriella Perez spoke about how she would light a candle as she prepared the environment as a prayer, that this, as her work to prepare was her prayer, and to also to remind her of this, the depth of what is happening in this space mm-hmm. of the child encountering God. And yeah, I think that all of those little things do make a difference for the child, but I think most, they make a huge difference inside of us to be a better instrument, if you will, Mm-hmm. in the child's connections with God. At least that's what I heard throughout this whole series. And maybe that's just where I am in my life at the moment. But I felt like it kept pointing back to me of, I need to learn more about this child. I need to work on my observation of the child. I need to respect the child and where they're at at this time or to adapt the environment for this child, etc. in order to, for us to have that, that peace that we're searching for and that the peace the child is searching for. Definitely. And I, and I think another small piece to this is that our goal is we're not seeking perfection. Mm. We're just seeking, you know, the, the concept of good enough is still tricky for me. <laughs> I'm mm. still, you know, I feel like I'm a recovering perfectionist. So, but that we're really looking for just making the conditions as positive as possible for the child. How can we, you know, and, and I think that's, Obviously, if we're preparing ourselves and preparing the environment, that's how we're doing that. But we're not trying to make it so perfect that, you know, nobody can step in. You still want right. it to be a comfortable right. space that's really good enough for for everyone. Right. Um, Perfection doesn't allow for vulnerability. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, man, these are some big topics. I am going to put in the show notes... A bunch of different links because there's so many different ways that you can learn more. But I found a lot. I grew a lot after listening to the episodes again by reading the articles in our most recent journal. Oh, yes. The 2021 journal number 36 because it's all things Montessori. And so I felt for me that that was an easy way for me to dive deeper into Montessori's theories and philosophies to help us serve the child better. That's an awesome one. Yeah, it was really good. It is really good. And I really want, I want to do an episode on observation because I feel like that's the next step as us, as the adults preparing us is to really grow in the art of observation. I agree. I think Mm -hmm. observation and cultivating wonder sometimes can go, you know, they can go hand in hand with each other, but observation is so key to all pieces of our work. Yes. That's really important. Well, Claire, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you before we finish? Sure. Um, I am on Instagram (laughs) and um, I have a page called At Home with Montessori. And the main focus is our our Montessori work at home. But um, sometimes I I put in some things about catechesis too. So it's it's all a work in progress, though. That's for sure. Is life is life. Well, thank you, Claire. Thank you for joining us again. Sure. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. If you know anybody who might benefit from this podcast to help them grow in their work with catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or maybe to expose them to it, or with the, with the religious potential of children, please share this podcast with them. 
I am putting a quote from Maria Montessori into our show notes that I found really profound and helped me a lot as I was preparing for today's episode. So go check it out. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.